In our series of messages, we're talking about characters. And I, I look at that word, and I was having a conversation with someone this week. I said, you know, there's, there's a number of ways that you can take this word character. Character just as a person, as a person, but you can also, there's some characters in Scripture. I mean, they just have all kinds of personalities, all kinds of things going on. And it's such a fun study, and today we're going to venture into the life of a person that most of us have some familiarity with. The the, the term leadership is one that we hear often. It is something that is very, very prominent within our society. In fact, if you do a little research on the internet, you're going to find about four and a half billion, now that's with a B, not an M, four and a half billion articles, seminars, books, something written about leadership. So leadership is a hot topic. And what is so significant about these characters and these stories is the Apostle Paul helped us in Romans chapter 15. He said this, he said, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. You see, these characters give us, they give us hope for the future for the things that they endure. And we're encouraged also by their lives. We can learn from them. And that is really significant, especially as you think about leadership. There are so many different leaders in Scripture, whether it's Joshua or Nehemiah, Daniel, David, Solomon, the list goes on. Leadership is everywhere, and today is no different. We're going to talk about a leader. His name is Moses. Moses. And, I, and I'm absolutely confident we're going to be able to walk away with something that helps us in our leadership. And you say, wait a minute, whoa, 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 stop. Stop. I'm not a leader, Gary. You just don't understand. I'm not a leader. I'm just this... I'm just a regular guy. I'm just a regular gal. I walk through life. I do an eight to five job, go home on the weekend, grill a little bit of steak and jump in the pool once in a while, go to the beach. I'm just a regular guy, leadership. No, that's not me. Well, really, consider this, if that's what you're thinking. Two guys by the name of Warren Bennis and Burton Annis. Now, a number of years ago, they've been leadership researchers for years. They discovered... 850 different definitions to leadership. I'm going to go out on a limb this morning. One of those definitions applies to you, at least one of them, maybe more. And what that tells us is that we're all leaders. Now, these these definitions of leadership are things like influence, example, persuasion, competency, in every one of those areas are speaking of leadership and leaders. So we look at these definitions of leadership. I want to give you four real quick bullets that just kind of give us this perspective of leadership and how it applies to all of us. Number one, we are all leaders. We are all leaders. We are le- and we are leading all of the time. Do not think for one moment that you're not a leader because you are. Every one of us are leaders. Number two, leadership springs from within. It's about who I am as, it, as much as it is about what I do. It springs from within. Third, becoming a leader is an ongoing process of self-development. I'm absolutely confident. I, 
I believe that leaders aren't necessarily born. They may be born with tendencies to lead, but they're not born leaders. Leadership is something we develop. It is a skill that can be acquired. And number four, leadership is not an act. It's a way of life. It's a way of life. So think about that in your own context. Whether you're a whether you work eight to five, a parent, a coach, a teacher, whether you're part of an HOA, wherever you are, you have leadership responsibilities, every one of them. And one of the things that we learn, or some of the things that we learn from Moses, he was a leader. He was a reluctant leader, but he was a leader nonetheless. We're going to spend some time talking about Moses. Acts chapter 7, verse number 22. This is what we read. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. Father, take your word, use it, speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Moses is a great character, and his life is segmented into three 40-year segments. So that's how we're going to look at his life this morning. So the first 40, the first 40. We can read about that in Exodus chapter 2, just 15 verses, talk about the first 40 years of his life. So where we, where we pick this up, we pick up the fact that the Hebrews were in distress. Now, a promise that had been made to Abraham was that he would be the father of a great nation, but this nation would be in bondage for decades, for centuries, and that has come to pass. When you begin to read the story, you find out that Joseph, who is an incredible character in Scripture, is where this is where... Uh, all of the Hebrews came to Egypt and they took up residency, but then they began to multiply greatly. So what you read is that a Pharaoh came to power that didn't know anything about Joseph and said, these people are a threat. So we've got to do something about it. So they enslaved them. This distress that they're in was slavery, but then it was also genocide. Because Pharaoh was saying, when a, baby, when a Hebrew baby boy is born, you're just supposed to kill them. The girls can live, but the boys, you've got to kill them. There's genocide happening. So they, there's a tremendous amount of distress. This is where Moses comes in to the story. So he is born, and for the first three months of Moses' life, his mother conceals him. Now, he, she goes against the edict of the Pharaoh. She hides him. But after three months, she says, we can't continue to do this. So you may know the story. Moses' mother makes this little basket of reeds, puts Moses in it, and then puts him in the Nile River, floating. Now, I'm just going to say this. The scripture doesn't say this. I just don't think it's a coincidence that Noah's, I mean, excuse me, Noah, that the Pharaoh's daughter happened to be taking a ceremonial bath in the Nile River. I have a feeling they had seen her there before. You read the story, you find out that Miriam, Moses' older sister, is somewhere hiding, watching whether or not he would be picked up. I have a feeling that if Pharaoh's daughter hadn't shown up, Miriam was going to go for a swim and rescue her little brother before she went any farther down the river. But all of that to be said, Pharaoh's daughter finds this baby and takes her into her home and raises, her, raises him as a prince of Egypt. The third part of this is that Moses then acts inappropriately. See, what, is that, what does that have to do with? Moses is around 40 years old now. That's the first 40 years of his life. He's around 40 years old. Well, he goes out into the, into the countryside and he sees an Egyptian taskmaster 
beating a Hebrew. He takes matters into his own hands and he kills the Egyptian. And what we read in Exodus chapter 2, verse 11, are these words, and they're very poignant. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. And it's that phrase. Now, I want you to understand something. This phrase, one of his own people, is significant. He never lost sight of who he truly was. Somewhere in his upbringing, his mother and father had implanted in him, you are not an Egyptian, you are a Hebrew. Never forget from where you come. One of the things that we don't know in Scripture, we don't know how long Moses' parents had the opportunity to invest in his life. We don't know that. But we do know this. He knew who he was. They had done a good job of implanting, you are a son of Abraham. You are to live in the fear of God Almighty. Now let me just say, parents, are you making the most of the time with your children that you have? I don't know, you don't know how long you'll have the opportunity to invest in them. But I want to encourage you, invest in your children. We are commanded, we are called in Scripture to raise our children in the fear and instruction of the Lord. We need to make the most of every opportunity we have to invest in them the things of God, to help them understand how much God loves them, to help them understand who they are in Christ. Remember Proverbs 22, teach your children right from wrong, and when they are grown, They'll still do what's right. Even though Moses acted inappropriately, he never forgot who he was. What an incredible responsibility for us as parents, as grandparents, to invest in our children the purposes of God. The, third, the second is the middle 40. So Moses flees. He runs away, fear of his life, and he runs to the desert. I remember with great fondness of becoming a teenager, uh, my dad got me a watch, and I still have that watch and my memorabilia stuff, and on the back of it, the date's inscribed when I became a teenager. Man, that was a, that was a great day. I was no longer 12. I was 13. And then I remember how fun it was to become 20. I'm no longer a teenager. This is great. Then I turned 30 and got depressed. <laughs> then I had this dumb party for my 40th birthday. I have had, I've had to go into therapy after what happened to that party. It was just nuts. When I turned 40, my dad said, Gary, he says, I'm really excited about you turning 40. And I'm thinking, well, that makes one of us, you know. I was depressed at 30 and I was okay with 40. It was just like, yeah, whatever, you know, it's just going to happen. But he said to me, he said, you know, my 40s were the, it was the best decade of my life. And I hope the same thing for you. I went, well, okay. And now I look back over my 40s and go, well, that didn't work out very well. It was what it was. Moses is starting off his 41st year pretty rough. First 40, he was an Egyptian prince. The second 40, he's running for his life. And he moves from a prince to being a shepherd out in the middle of the desert. Wow. But, but before we go there, 
here's a phrase that I think it's important for each one of us to grab a hold of. The difficult things we learn slowly will later become the valuable information God will use to empower us as leaders. Sometimes it takes us a while to learn certain lessons. Now, remember, Moses has been educated in all the wisdom of Egypt. He's not an unintelligent guy. He has had every advantage. He knows the way of the world, as it were. But yet God takes him, when, when he took matters into his own hand and he killed the Egyptian, he is here, now I'm going to deliver my people. No, that wasn't God's way. So God takes him from being a prince to being a shepherd. And now for 40 years, he's going to be a shepherd. So Moses in the desert, what's this look like? You know, he doesn't know at this point when he starts that the final 40 years of his life will be spent in the desert as well. But it will be leading sheep, a different kind of sheep, not the sheep sheep, but now two million individuals who come out of Egyptian slavery. The knowledge he's getting in the desert now will prove absolutely invaluable later. He will learn his way around the desert. He will know how things work in this barren, harsh, and difficult place so that he can lead God's people from where they were to where God wants them to be. And I just, just say this, do not discount, do not discount your desert experience. God will use it to prepare you for what is yet to come. Understand something. You might be in a, right now in a desert place, harsh and dry and difficult and not understanding. You're kind of saying, you know something? This thing is never going to end. Can you imagine Moses? I was a prince in Egypt. And now look, I'm out in the middle of nowhere watching over sheep. What's this all about? But understand, I'm going to read it again. Do not discount your desert experience. God will use it to prepare you for what is yet to come. Luke chapter 4 says, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. Now understand something. He has just been baptized. He is ready to begin his ministry. He was led by the Spirit into the oasis. The beautiful place. No, he was led into the wilderness, to the desert, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time. He became very hungry. Now look at this. 40 days, 40 years. There was preparation happening in a difficult place. But now look. Then Jesus returned from Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's power reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. What a desert experience. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit when he went into the desert and full as he returned. Then his ministry began. There was something that needed to occur in the desert that wouldn't have happened anywhere else. And I would say the same for all of us. There are things that happen in the desert that can happen nowhere else. It's there that God refines us and makes us into what he wants us to be so that we can lead as God has so purposed that we would lead. It's in the desert. And I will tell you, Marcy and I have been in a couple of desert experiences. And I could, I could spend the rest of the morning just talking about the desert. But I will tell you, it's a harsh place. It's dry. It's lonely. And it feels like it's never going to end. It's hopeless. 
do I ever want to do desert again? Nope. But I would not trade the value of what it brought to my life. Not for one moment. Because God used that desert experience to chip off what needed to be chipped off, to refine what needed to be refined. You see, when you move into the desert at times, you feel like you got everything going on, everything's good, I have got this handled. But God is saying, no, 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 no. Maybe you think you've got it handled. Maybe you think you can handle this Egyptian thing on your own, but you know something? No, it's going to take some time in the desert so that I can make you into what I see that you can become. It's the desert. God will use it. God will use it. Not only was he in the desert, but now he's called of God in the middle of the desert. But after 40 years, look at Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw though saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Now look at, listen to this. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Now look at this. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Can I just, I just feel so, so inclined to just say this to someone here today. I want you, I want you to understand the power of this ver- these, these verses. Because you may be in a place today where you don't feel like, where you feel like God has, he's just not looking. He doesn't see what you're walking through. He didn't see the hurt. He doesn't see the sorrow. He doesn't see the confusion. He's walking alone. I want you to know something. God sees, and God is here to rescue. And he has not forgotten, nor will he. In the midst of this call, now a dialogue ensues between Moses and God. And I just love this dialogue, so I'm just going to paraphrase it here. So Moses hears God's call, and this is what he says. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. God, I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody. And God says, I'll be with you. Then Moses says, when asked who you are, what am I supposed to say? God says, say I am. Okay. What if they don't believe? Then show them these. As a staff, throw it down, became a snake. Pick it up, becomes a staff again. Sticks his hand in his robe, and it comes out shriveled, puts it back in, and it's healed. Show him these. Then Moses goes, and I said, well, you know, God, I'm not eloquent. God says, I'll help you. Now go. Then the last thing that Moses says, send somebody else. I just love that phrase, send somebody else. And God says, I'll help you. And Aaron will too. Your brother's going to go with you. You see, why is that so significant? Because I've had that same conversation. I'm really good at making excuses. 
when God begins to speak into my life. I wonder if there's anybody else that might help this brother out standing up here. Oh, please, you're, hanging, you're letting me hang here. Come on now. If you ever make excuses and you start to say, well, God, but, but God, but God, how about God? You know, we go back and forth with God, and God is so relentless, he just keeps drilling down. He said, no, I want you to know something. God sees in Moses what Moses does not see in himself. He sees the potential of a great leader, and I want you to know God, by his spirit, looks into your life, and he sees potential far beyond anything and what anyone else might say. God has called you to something greater. Believe it. Believe it. He believes in you. He believes in you. And out of obedience, Moses goes. But I'm curious this morning, what's God asking maybe now? Maybe it's just as simple as, it's time for me to be baptized. I've been following Jesus a long time, never been baptized. That's simple. These steps of obedience, to, to tell your family and friends, I have decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. It's that time today to make that commitment. Maybe it's to serve. Maybe it's just to be faithful in prayer. But rather than make, I can't do it, you know, I'm kind of allergic to salt water in the ocean. I mean, what? We can find him. We can find him. Follow. Go, Moses had excuses, but God knew he could do it. And he, he promised that he would be with him. First Thessalonians 5 says, May God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole, put you together, spirit, soul, and body. Now look at this. And keep you fit for the coming of our Master Lord Jesus, the, our Master Jesus Christ, the one who called you is completely dependable. If he said it, he'll do it. Trust him. For 40 years, Moses had been leading sheep. He's become familiar with the desert. He's been humbled from a prince to a shepherd. He's had an encounter with the living God. And although reluctant, he obeys. He obeys. He, he's had, I guess you could say, he's had sort of a rebirth. There's a man by the name of Abraham Zelesnik, and I, I apologize if that is not how you properly pronounce his name. Abraham Zelesnik is a professor emeritus at the Harvard School of Business. And this is what he wrote. And listen to this carefully. Leaders are twice-born individuals who endure major events that lead to a sense of separateness or perhaps estrangement from their environments. Now hear this carefully. As a result, they turn inward in order to reemerge with a created rather than an inherited sense of identity. What happens to Moses is that God confronts him. His presence is poured out. He doesn't know what to do but fall into takeoff. And he falls on his face. I'm in the presence of God. God has this incredible call in his life. He has a dialogue. He's reluctant, yes. But he steps from that place and in faith he begins to obey. And there is a created sense of identity, rather one that had been inherited even from his parents or what had happened in the 
palace in Egypt. And so just take this, an encounter with the presence of God moved him from the inherited sense of identity to the created one given him by God. Understand something, each one of us are right on the cusp of what God wants to do in us. If we will yield to the presence of God in our lives, he will lead us to places that are extraordinary. The influence of our lives, the example of our lives will exponentially increase. Why? Because of his presence. It's his presence that makes the difference. That's what changes us. It transforms us. Moses was God's chosen leader to accomplish God's purposes. The last is the final 40. And I'm going to move quickly through this, so hold with me, but it is so important. And as you might imagine, when you have... This much information about a person, it's difficult to get it into one morning. But the final 40. Now, I have a, I have a birthday coming up here in a couple of months, and I've, a number of things I think about when I have a birthday. The first is I'm grateful that I keep having birthdays. Right? Amen? Isn't that true? I'm glad I got another one. Yeah, that's cool. I also, I also just to be honest, realize uh, that I'm one, more clo- I'm one closer to my very final one. You say, well, that's depressing. That's morbid, Gary. Come on, what are you doing? I came to be encouraged not today, not to talk about stuff like that. Can we just be real for a minute? We're all mortal. Just the reality. You say, well, why do you bring it up? Because when I look at Moses' final 40, I realize something happens here. He finishes, he finishes well. Now, I don't know what your final 40 looks like, but I want to finish well. He finished well. Was he perfect? Nope. But he finished strong. So let's talk about how he finished. Look at his leadership in his final 40. First, Moses' persuasion. Persuasion. After God called him from the bush, he was to go to Israel and to tell them it's time to leave. Now, the persuasion side of things... Listen to Exodus chapter 4, verse 29. It says, Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites. And Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. Understand, Moses was called to take the message back to his people. Go, tell them, it's time to go. When Moses told them, they responded, yes. He had persuasion as part of his leadership. Understanding this, it was persuasion that was born out of obedience. Yes, it was God's favor in his life that led him there. But there was persuasion. He had to talk to them. And in our leadership, whether it's in, a, in the context of our home or our business or our neighborhoods or our school. There are times we have to be persuasive. Believe for the favor of God to give you the right things to say at the right time. He did what God said, and the people followed. The second was his confrontation, Moses' confrontation. Have you ever met anybody that just loves to confront somebody else? I'm sorry, I think that's a mental disorder. There's there's nothing fun about that, honestly. But you know something? Leaders at times have to confront. There's no way around it. Moses, remember, he said, God, what? You want me to, this is my words, you want me to do what? You want me to go to Pharaoh? 
Don't you know like I have a death sentence on me? Go to Pharaoh. Tell him, let my people go. And he goes to Pharaoh. And he says, let my people go. Man. Pharaoh is probably, if not the, he's one of the most powerful persons in the world. But Moses, a humble shepherd of 40 years, stands before the most powerful man in the world and says, God says, let my people go. That's a leader. That's a leader under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. This is a leader who knows who it is who is with him, who will confront when necessary. Don't forget God promised that his presence would be with him. And God will be with him. And look at this. When God is for us, when God is for us and with us, there is nothing we cannot do in his strength and in his power. Understand what the Apostle Paul wrote. So what should we say about this? If God is for us, no one can stand against us. And I love this. And God is with us. Us. The confrontation that Moses went through included 10 plagues, which absolutely destroyed the gods of Egypt. It was a confrontation, again, born out of obedience, and God equipped him and was there. And I will tell you, when you stand in places where you don't know what to do, and it is an absolute confrontation, you know it is, I am absolutely confident God is for you, he will be with you, he will not leave you, he will give you the right things to say, and you will stand up in the leadership power of God himself. Believe for it. Moses' voice is another part of his leadership. You say, what voice? What, what do you mean by voice? It's really interesting to me that Moses, when he and God were talking, one of the things that Moses believed disqualified him from leading was I'm not eloquent. But yet Moses has a voice. I want to tell you, as a child of God this morning, you have a voice. You have a voice. Don't ever think that you don't have a voice. Listen Listen to what Exodus, I love this, Exodus 14. Now, let me set it up for you. They've come out of Egypt, and they've come to the Red Sea, and they've stopped at the Red Sea. Now, the Red Sea becomes an impassable barrier to them. And then they look behind them, and what's happening? Pharaoh had changed his mind. I can't believe I did what I did. And he sent out his army. The chariots are pursuing them. And the people begin to complain. So what did you do to bring us out into the desert to die? Now listen to what Moses says. Listen to this. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord. Now the Israel, I mean that Israel then walks across dry ground. The armies of Egypt are destroyed, never to be a force again. They never had to worry about them again. And then we see this, Moses, they get to the other side. Then Moses and the Israelites sang a song to the Lord. What I, want you to see, what I want you to see is that Moses led the song. That's essentially it. His voice continued. And Moses says, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he is hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. People of God, we need to stand up with the voice of God. And parents, you need to stand at times in front of your children and for your family and to say, stand firm. Do not be afraid. 
for the Lord your God is with you. It's time to sing to the Lord and say the Lord is my strength. He is the song of my life. Time to take the leadership role that God has given to us with our voice. You say, but Gary, I don't, I don't know what to say. I mean, I, I feel like Moses, man. I, eloquent? No. No. But the presence of the Lord changes everything. The Holy Spirit will give you the right words when the time comes. Believe it and depend on him. Also, Moses' patience is another part of his leadership. It's patience. You know, one thing that you can say about the Israelites, they knew how to grumble. I mean, they got that part down really good. At least 14 different times you see them grumbling against Moses. I mean, he pulls them out of the, the first thing, they didn't have bricks with straw. They started complaining. Then it, they're at the Red Sea, they're complaining. Then they don't have any water. Then it's water from the rock. They don't have any food. Then it's manna from heaven. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Finally, finally, this is my own paraphrase. Finally, God said, Moses, get out of my way. I'm going to kill them all. I'm done with them. And I'm going to make you into a great nation. I can't do that. This, and he didn't say, I can't do it. He's just, I'm, can you imagine? What did Moses do? Moses fell on his face. And he began to pray for them. What? What led him to his knees was the patience of his life. His patience with their difficulties and their struggles. They were messed up. But he didn't give up on them. We need to have patience, not unlike Moses. Patience is not simply, I love this quote, patience is not simply the ability to wait. It's how we behave while we wait. Why is that the truth? What's our life like? Remember, it's a, it's a gift, it's a fruit of the Spirit. It, it, it's who we are. It's what Christ has made us. He's made us to be patient. The last part of Moses' leadership is his legacy. His legacy. Moses is led well. He comes to the end of his journey. And I want to read you a portion of Scripture from Deuteronomy 34. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab and in the valley opposite Beth Por. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died. Yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to the whole land, for no one has ever shown the mighty power to perform the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. So this legacy includes four things that you see in this text. The first is this. He was strong to the end. He was strong to the end. I realize that our physical bodies at one day just aren't going to work like they used to. I get that. But you know something? I choose to remain strong to the end. I will do everything that I can to keep my body physically healthy, to keep my mind as alert as it can be. I also want to be spiritually strong. You notice what it says about Moses? 
that his eyes were not weak and he still had the amount of strength that he had at the end of his life. I want to be that. I want to finish well, understand regardless of what our age is. And age is just a number. That's all it is. Let's be strong until the end. Let's press through. Let's continue to do what God has called us to do until Jesus comes again or we meet Jesus by the way of the grave. The second part of his legacy is the succession is completed. Joshua. I could just see it. Moses laying his hands on Joshua for the anointing of God and leadership in his life. And you'll notice something. If you go back into the story a little bit, I'm not going to take the time to read another portion here. It's in Exodus 33. You have that, you have that in your notes as far as a list. I encourage you to read it. In Exodus 33, there's, there's something so significant. Moses had a, what was called a tent of meeting. And this is where God would meet with him. And so he took the tent of meeting away from the camp and put it outside the camp of the Israelites. And then when God would meet with Moses, he met with him there. And you'll find in Exodus 33, Joshua standing at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And he calls him his young assistant. I like that. But then it says this about Joshua, that he never left. That he stayed there. What, did it tell, what does it tell me? It says that Joshua saw how God communed with Moses. He saw an example of leadership. He saw an example of, of nurturing the presence of God or practicing the presence of God. And I believe it's something that lasted. And then Moses lays his hands on him. You're now the leader. And the people said, you're the leader. We're following you. Succession was complete. And then the, the third is godly intimacy. Godly intimacy. You notice in this text it says that God spoke to Moses face to face. What does that mean? It means like a friend to a friend. What a relationship. Could we over the next week, month, year, decade, the remainder of our lives develop and nurture a deeper godly intimacy that we would be in the presence of God on a regular basis. I will guarantee you something. When we are in the presence of God, you and I are changed. It's the presence of God that equipped him to lead. If you read Exodus 33, he says to God, he says, God, you have called me to lead these people, but you have not said who would go with me. He simply forgot because God did tell him who would go with him, but he needed the reassurance of the presence of God. And, and God said at that moment, my presence will go with you. And Moses said, I cannot take one more step. I will not go one more, one more mile without your presence. If your presence doesn't and go with us, we're not leaving. And I would encourage every one of us this morning the same thing. If your presence, Jesus, does not go with us, I'm not going one more step. I'm not making one more decision. I am not saying one more thing until I am absolutely assured of the presence of God in my life and that you have overwhelmed me and transformed me by your power, that I am living according to the presence of God. That's the most important thing in my life. And I wonder this morning, is the presence of God the most important thing or is it all the stuff we have? to do. No, it's the presence of God. You want to lead, then let the presence of God overwhelm your life. Let it happen. Let it happen. Nurture his presence. And then finally, awesome impact. You notice what it says of Moses? No one in Israel like him ever again. No one did what Moses did. I believe that as good and as amazing 
as Moses was. You read a little later, there's a person by the name of Jesus. Someone greater than Moses is here. And Jesus went away and he said, you will do greater things than I have done because I go to the Father. I tell you, there are great things on the horizon for your life as you and I begin to step into and nurture and practice the presence of God and let his presence overwhelm you. There is an awesome impact for you. Do not minimize the power of God in your life for what he desires to do within us and within you. So this morning as we close, five things very quickly. I picked these up from Henry and Richard Blackaby in a book entitled Spiritual Leadership. And really the way Moses led, he led practically, but he he led in a spiritual way. And our leadership this morning is about spiritual leadership. So I want you to look at these five things. The first is this, a spiritual leader's task task is to move people from where they are to where God wants them to be. Can you just stop for a second? God, I'm just parents. Parents, God has a, has a plan for your, for your children, for your family. There's a place that God wants them to be. Lead them there. Lead them there. Lead them there. Let that be the priority of your life, to lead them where God wants them to be. Not where you think they should be, but where God believes that they should be and will be. Second, Spiritual leaders depend upon the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you something. Without God's Spirit, there is no, I don't want to take another step. Not one more. He, he is the one who needs, who is leading me and, and, and wants to lead me. If I will yield to that, we cannot lead without the Holy Spirit's help. And Moses depended on God. Depended on him. Third, Spiritual leaders are accountable to God. Don't minimize this. Don't shy away from it. Let me just, Moses is a great example. A little later, near the end of their journeys, they're in a place where there's no water. The people are grumbling. There's no water, no water. God says, God, Moses goes to God and says, God, what do I do? God told Moses, speak to the rock. and Water will come out. And Moses turned and he just, he'd had it. He'd had it with the people. He was frustrated. What he did, he didn't speak to the rock. He struck the rock with his staff. Water came out. But then God told Moses, Moses, you broke faith with me. And because of it, you won't enter the land. The promise, you're not, you'll see it, but you're not going to, you're not going to enjoy it. And Moses went, thank goodness I'm done with these people once and for all. I doubt if he said that, but he might have thought it. I know I make a little bit light of that. I don't mean to. But the point being, God held him accountable. And God will hold us accountable as leaders. Number four, spiritual leaders can influence all people, not just God's people. And I think we look at this and you say, wait a minute, Gary. Okay, I'm going to lead, but I, I, have no, I have no platform amongst anybody except those that, no, 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 no. Moses went back and confronted Pharaoh. Egypt was forever changed because of the confrontation of a godly spiritual leader amongst 
godless people. Our influence extends beyond just our closest and most intimate relationships. And number five, spiritual leaders work from God's agenda. It's about what God wants, not just what we want. This morning as we bring our time to a close, uh, I have all week, there's been what has been ringing in my heart of how we were to close our time together. In Exodus 33, which I've referenced a couple of times, Moses is having a conversation with God and he says, God, you haven't told me if you want me to lead, but I don't know who's going to with us. Who is it? So my presence will. This dialogue goes back and forth. And then Moses poses this question to God. Or makes a statement, actually. It's a, it's a direct, it's an imperative. This is what he says. My presence will go with you. Don't, if, I don't, if we don't experience you, if I don't have your presence, Lord, I don't want to go any farther. Then he says in Exodus 33, verse 18. Ready for this? God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. What a prayer this morning. What a prayer.